You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. At Ivanhoe Grammar, where I did my secondary education, there were three senior football teams. There was the first 18. Those guys, they really knew how to play football. There was the second 18. They could play decent football. And then there was my team. The third 18, we could describe football. We, we knew what it kind of, kind of looked like. And we weren't an amazing team. We were a bit of a motley bunch, but we, we got along well together. And, and we had a number of games away from our particular school where we'd, we'd drive, take the coach to, to another school altogether. And I remember those, those Saturday mornings, cold often Saturday mornings, where we'd rock up, we'd, we'd hop off the, the bus, we'd go to the change rooms, We'd get into our gear and then onto the field, and, and often, um, um, you know, it was just so brisk and cold, but we'd line up first. And I remember those moments where our team looked at, for the very, very first time, the other team. And sometimes, you know, first appearances can do a lot, can't they? Sometimes, of course, as we eyeballed the other team, you know, it was kind of a, I reckon we got this. We got this one in the bag. Of course, we never would. Um, I don't think we ever won a match. But sometimes we would look at the other team, and even before the first whistle had blown, we would just be filled with fear. Our, our hearts would would melt like butter on a, on a warm day. We would just look at them and look at the size of them and just think, oh no. Well, come on everybody, back to the bus. Let's just kind of call it quits there and say, wasn't it a lovely morning? And sometimes that happens. And the story in the Bible we want to look at um, this evening is, is, is just like that. It happened in a valley called the Valley of Elah. And what had happened was that um, uh, the Philistines had come against Israel. Um, Saul and, and his army, including three of uh, David's oldest brothers, had headed down to the valley. And there, there was a face-off. Um, the Israelites were on one hill. The Philistines were on the other hill. And in between them was the Valley of Elah. And then we, we read in Scripture that, that something would happen every day that they had a champion, and his name was Goliath, and he was a kind of a pretty big dude. He would, he would leave the ranks, and he would come down into the valley every day, and he would stand there and effectively taunt the Israelites. The Israelites would, would a little bit like we did at those football matches. They would just eyeball the opposition. In particular, they would look at their ruckman, and they would basically say, not a good day for football. And they would scramble back to the camp and, and hope that somehow the day would pass with, without a battle. This was the situation into to which David walked. And we're looking at the anatomy of a leader, and it seems that when God is shaping a leader, and I want to suggest that every disciple of Jesus Christ is a leader, when God is shaping a leader, it seems that there are defining moments in, in that shaping, and this was one of them. David had to confront the giant in the valley, and it seems that that's the case with all of us. Let me, let me read just a few verses so that you get a little bit of the, the picture. From chapter 17, I'm going to read from verse 2. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah, and they drew up battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, with the valley between them. Verse 4, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out 
of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. It's an awesome description. Uh, Basically there is described a human tank down there in, in the valley. And the question that I think we have to ask ourselves at these, these pivotal moments in the shaping of a leader, these moments where we come down into the valley, is what is it that you see? For surely the Israelites saw one thing, but David saw another. Interestingly, I, I was talking to um, Neil Strugnell after, after 4.12 on Wednesday, and, and he, he said to me that he, he's, he's not very good at remembering jokes and punchlines, and I'm the same, but here is my, here is my one joke. Uh, I think it's about, this is about the only one that I remember. Um, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson were going camping on one occasion. They went, hiked out into this beautiful spot, and there they were camping camping out together, and, and, and Sherlock, in, in one of those kind of, you know, profound moments, turns to Dr. Watson and, and says, Watson, what do you see? Watson, thinking about this question and his friend and his mentor, and he was thinking, you know, oh, where is Sherlock coming from? I wonder what angle. So he decided, I'll cover every angle. Firstly, he took the, the scientific approach. He looked up there at the stars and the various constellations and he, and he started to describe them. And then he, just, he started to describe their impact on planet Earth and everything that he understood about tides and weather and so forth. And, and then just to cover all of his bases, because again, you know, Sherlock is this brilliant mind and, well, he wants to impress him, but, but he's also just wondering, where's he coming from? You know, he then decides to take on a slightly more philosophical approach. And so he, so he turns from the scientific appraisal of the stars and, and then he reflects on what it means for him personally. Stars and a vast universe, this inexplicable cosmos, and then little old me from an existential point of view, I guess, you know, I am what I do. And, and maybe I could take that further and feel very, very small like a nihilist. Or perhaps I could introduce some intelligent design into the argument, think big that there must be a God and a creator, and somehow I have a divine purpose in here and so forth, and eventually after rambling for a bit, he finishes, and, and there's this pause. Sherlock doesn't say anything for a moment, and Watson, feeling the awkwardness of the pause, prompts him and finally says, well, what do you think, Sherlock? What, what do you see? And again, there was, there's a little bit more pause, and then Sherlock simply answered, it would seem to me that somebody has stolen our tent. You see, it all comes down to perspective. What do you see? When we go into the valley and we meet the giant, what is it that you see? It's possible to see the giant. It's possible to see something else. The Israelites could not draw their eyes or their attention away from the giant. What they saw was an unconquerable force that threatened to enslave them. In fact, that was the very taunt that uh, Goliath um, gave to the Israelites. Why go through the rigmarole of a huge battle, one army killing the other army, and oh, it would be just such a mess and an inconvenience. You choose a champion, 
I will be the champion for the Philistines. Let's save each other time and we'll do battle. Whoever wins um, will become victorious. Whoever loses will become slaves to the other. And so Israel saw this unconquerable force and they were threatened with, with slavery. Um, in verse, uh, verse 16, we, we read this. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening to take his stand. He was ever present with them, continuing to, to give them this taunt. And then we read down in, in verse 24 that whenever they heard it, the Israelites saw Goliath and they all fled from him in great fear. You get the sense, you get the, the picture of, of what is happening here. You know, it seems to me that in the Christian life, we, we all have giants. We all have big issues that are difficult to face. And sometimes we recognize them and sometimes we don't. Sometimes it's right there in our, our face and we can name that giant. We know exactly who it is and, and what the nature of our giant is. Sometimes the giant is a little bit hidden. Can't describe them necessarily. We know they're down there in a valley and that's why we stay away from, from that valley. But they have different things in, in common, whether it's your giant or my giant. Firstly... They stand tall, and they, they, they look very, very real. Goliath stood, our best estimate is some three meters. You know, the Guinness Book of World Records records that the tallest person, that irrefutably there is evidence for it, the tallest person there ever was, I think it was around 274 centimeters. Um, this morning, if you're at this morning service, I had Rob Wickstead stand, and he was... Um, uh, he thinks he's shrunk a little bit since he's prime, but he, he used to stand 201 centimetres. So you would add, you would have Rob, if you can picture him, you'd have Rob stand and then add another metre again to get the, the sense of how big Goliath was. Now, the average height of a male back in those days, it's estimated, was probably about 166 centimetres. We get the sense from the text that David was probably average, not above average. His brother was, not him. So it's possible that he was probably about half the height or so of Goliath. Giants are big. They're tall. And they look so real. They all are. They're like that. And then secondly, they don't go away. Every morning, every evening for 40 days, Goliath came out and he, and he taunted the Israelites. Um, next, they, they, tend to, they tend to overshadow all reason. For instance, you might have asked yourself, why did the Philistines prefer this particular method of battle? And it wasn't uncommon. Sometimes by way of association, you would. You would send out your champions and decide a matter. But of course, there was a decided advantage in doing this. You wouldn't actually have to go into full battle mode. Now, why would you want that? Perhaps because you actually fear that if the entire army went against its opponents, it might not go so well. But of course, that's, that's reasonable, isn't it? That's rational. That wasn't the thing that was stopping Israel. They kept looking at the giant, and giants are often unreasonable. And then lastly, giants always represent a lie. There is always a lie behind it. He would come out and he would, he would taunt them. 
But everything that he said was, was basically a half-truth twisted around. The giants that can paralyze us, the giants that we can be so fearful of at times, will usually be based also on a lie or represent some lie that at some point we've believed. Now, now why would our enemy use such giants? What's his purpose? Well, firstly, he would love to obstruct our vision, a little bit like putting blinders on us. If we're fixated on the giant, we're not seeing what? Well, whatever else it was that there, there was to see. We're just kind of captivated by this, this, this giant problem in front of us, and we can't get past it. But there's another reason. Whilst we're paralyzed, fixated on the giant in front of us, something else is happening. We're not living. We're not living out our future. Uh, Sam, a couple of weeks ago, was, was talking about embracing your destiny and the strategies of the enemy to, to steal from us our God-given destiny. Could it be that when giants are in front of us, unacknowledged or undealt with, they become all of our focus or they demand all of our focus in such a way as we stop living. We stop taking steps of faith forward in terms of the destiny that God has for us. But all of that because they represent a lie, a lie that, that has to be dealt with. It's kind of a pretty insidious thing. And I want to go so far as to suggest that there's not a Christian that I know Brand spanking new, seasoned and mature. There is not a Christian that I know of who at some point or another hasn't had to battle a giant lie. Somehow a Goliath has slipped through the valley into their life. And they stand there day after day after day, taunting you. As I say, sometimes we avoid the valley. And we're not entirely sure what it is that that giant looks like. Other times, we've been confronted with the valley and we know exactly what that giant looks like. Um, oh, well over a decade ago, maybe 15 years ago, I sat in a coffee shop with a guy by the name of Graham Wells. And Graham is just one of the loveliest guys you'll, you'll ever meet. He was 2IC um, for the organization Operation Mobilization in the USA. Um, he and his wife had served there for many, many years. And Graham and I were having a coffee and were discussing a really difficult matter. It was how Things had gone wrong organizationally that meant that our family were, were leaving the USA prematurely. And Graham was chatting with me and he said, Stuart, do you know, this is just one of those strange things where it may be years before we actually know what went wrong. We had talked for over an hour, and as we tried to analyze where things had broken down and why we were no longer able to serve there in, in the US, we could not put our finger on it. There was no, no pointing the finger at one person or one thing. It was just one of those inexplicable things, and we had, we had no real understanding of what was going on. Graham, in his graciousness, he said, Stuart, 
I don't know what to say except this. We'll meet again. I don't know when. It may be 5, 10, 15 years. We'll meet again. And, and you know, if you or I by that time understand under God what it was that has happened and what it was that's gone wrong, he said, I want to be the first to just confess that before the Lord and put it right. He was just, just the loveliest guy. And, and, and so our time there finished. And you might feel like, well, with, a, with an offer like that and such a gracious guy as, as Graham, no little lie could creep in there, right? A couple of weeks ago, I was walking, walking along the 90-mile beach. There was something that was tugging at my heart, and, and I knew God wanted to speak to me about that time when we finished in the US. And I had a a long stretch of beach to walk along, and I said, God, I never really did understand that time in our life. It all went a little bit pear-shaped, didn't it? But I don't know why. What, what happened there? And I was walking along the beach, and all of a sudden, God did an amazing thing. He showed me in that valley, he showed me the nature of the giant. I saw it right there, the lie. And the lie for me was this that somehow in my time there, I had disappointed God. I had done something wrong. And because of that, God wasn't pleased with me. Isn't that interesting? Now you're going to say, come on, you're the pastor and you're old. You can't get tricked by little lies like that, right? It can happen. It can happen. I, I know I'm making myself a little bit vulnerable there, and I want to do it intentionally because I want to show you how easily these little lies can creep in. Undealt with, they go from small to gigantic, and they can, can become the Goliaths in our lives. Oh, it was so freeing and awesome to finally realize what the lie was. I immediately prayed into that, and I said, Oh, thank you, Father. I've never... I had never seen that before. Ha! It makes so much sense of so, so many things. And I started praying to that. And I said, well, God, let, let, I want to let you speak truth into that. And bang, 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 scripture verses all of a sudden fell into place to speak truth into that lie. It was the most freeing thing. But until that moment, guess what? That was my perspective. That's the way that I saw the valley. That's what it was that I saw. I saw this giant, and I could see no way of somehow moving on from that, that difficult time many years ago. But there's another way to see these things. We don't have to look at the giants in our lives. And that's exactly what David exemplifies for us here. You see, in verse 23, we read, as he was talking with them, this is David, he'd come from the pasture, he'd come out to bring supplies to his brothers, he'd gone out to the battle lines, and then while he was there, guess what? Goliath comes out for his morning taunt. And so David and all the Israelites hear it. And so as David was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and he shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. But not only David heard it, but the Israelites heard it as well. But here's the interesting thing. What did everybody hear and what did everybody see? Well, we actually know. We know exactly what the Israelites heard. In verse 10, 
It's already been repeated for us. The Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. They heard that. They heard the giant saying, I defy the armies of Israel. What did David hear? Well, we actually know the answer to that as well. In verse 26, David was, was asking some people what will be done you know, by the king for the person who takes out, takes out this giant. And he says it this way. He says, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? What did the Israelites hear? They heard a giant defying, defying the armies of Israel. What did David hear? He heard a giant defying the armies of the living God. Two very, very different perspectives. Now, it doesn't seem much. But on the one hand, Goliath is taking on the Israelite army. On the other hand, David sees it. No, 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 it's not the Israelite army. This is the army that belongs to the living God. Therefore, behind this army stands the living God. <laughs> it's laughable. You, tall as you are, dare to defy God? That's what David saw. That was David's perspective. In fact, we know that, we know that as a fact from uh, verse Verse 45, later on in the chapter, we read there, David said to the Philistine as they come into battle, and well, that's not next week, but the week after the sermon, what you can do with five smooth stones. But, but David says in verse 45, you come against me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. He didn't just defy the army of Israel, you defied their God. And I come against you in his name. Your enemy is God's enemy. Your giant is God's giant. And your victory over that giant is God's glory. Now, one of the problems we face when we're dealing with our, with our giants with the problems, with the difficulties, with the challenges that we have in life, suffering, illness, whatever it might be, one of the difficulties is this. As soon as we think, God's given me victory, we hear this whisper, do we not? Yeah, but not every time. Not in every instance. Not over all things, right? What do we reply to that? What do we say in that moment where we know that God is, is, is with us and he gives us victory and he helps us with our giants, but then we hear that little whisper, yeah, but not all the time, huh? Bad things happen to people, don't they? God doesn't promise that we're going to have an easy life. Paul told us this. Paul actually boasted in his suffering. So what's the correct way to think about this, coming, coming against our giants and, and dealing with them? There's something very powerful here, and, and David knew it. If I had to guess what it was that David pondered when, as a shepherd boy, he was alone in the pasture, do you know what my guess would be? That he wasn't. What did I think David thought about when he was alone in the pasture? 
that he wasn't alone in the pasture. There comes a moment where he's got to convince Saul that he will be acceptable as the representative of Israel to go and fight Goliath. Saul says to him, and, and I believe from the chronology of the, the passages, I believe that Saul already knows about David. He's been in his court singing for his headaches. This is, there's an awareness there. So why is he suddenly back in the paddocks and Saul out of the battle? Well, the Philistines came against them. Saul gathers his troops together and he goes out to war. David is going back and forth from, from his father tending the sheep to, to the armies to take supplies to the three older brothers who are being conscripted for the army. Saul knows him. He knows that he's a young guy too. And, and I think that explains the quick flip of why at one point Saul is saying, you're too young, you can't go against him. But then all of a sudden, all right, try on my armor. What turns the table so quickly? What happens in that moment? Well, I think, I think David was known to Saul. And I think Saul saw something in this, in this young lad who had a heart for God and a and a and an inexplicable courage within. I think Saul, Saul knew that there's something special here. So when David all of a sudden explains, you know what, when, when I was out there in the, in the pastures, a, a lion would come for one of the sheep, I would chase it down, and when it would turn on me, I'd kill it. When a bear did the same thing, I would chase it down. When it turned on me, I would kill it. The Lord gave me victory over the lion and the bear, and the Lord will give me victory over this Philistine as well. Who gives him the victory? The Lord does. David had an awareness that he was not alone in the pasture. David had learned to trust God in the little things. And, and trusting God was just a habit now for David. So when confronted with this giant called Goliath, he knows what to do. God has helped me in the past. I trust God. I know that he is present with me. When we were back in Joshua, there was a beautiful promise. Moses um, passing the baton over to Joshua. And in that moment, Moses says to him, be strong and courageous. Right. <laughs> On what basis? This. The Lord is with you and he will never leave you, never forsake you. The New Living Translation, I think, puts it something like um, he, will, he will never let you down and he will never abandon you. What was Moses' promise to Joshua, in that moment, the presence of God. That's all he needed. And you might look at your giants and you might think, the answer to, to, to take away you know, this giant from my life is this, or it's this, or it's this, or it's this. Sometimes, to be quite honest, we don't know how God wants to deal with the giants in our lives. But here's the promise, and here's the one that you can hang on to. This is what David hung on to. This is what you can hang on to, absolutely, 100%. God is present with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Absolutely 100% guaranteed every time. That you can hang on to. There is no whisper from the enemy that can undermine that promise and that truth. God is present with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And that's why you can face your giants. David quite simply saw God more clearly than he did the problem. In fact, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't just the slightest smirk on David's face. 
There he, there he is, having refused Saul's armor because it was just so clumsy. There he is, coming down to do battle with Goliath. And Goliath is so insulted that they've sent this, this little guy, this 166-centimeter you know, shepherd boy, to have a face-off with him. And you know, I think he's embarrassed. What, what am I, a dog that you would send to you know, this lad? And I wonder whether as, as he reeled off his, his little series of taunts at the Israelite army and at David himself, whether David didn't just have a smirk on his face because, oh yeah, I mean, he saw the giant. He saw that he stood some three meters high. He knew that. But it was what Goliath couldn't see that would have had him smiling. Don't you see? who's got my back? Don't you see who's behind me? Like, if you could see the giant that is on my side, you'd, you'd be making a little puddle just there. Seriously. David could see what Goliath couldn't. David could see what the Israelite army couldn't see. That's what gave him confidence. He killed the lion, he killed the bear, this, this guy, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. You know, some years ago, I recall praying. I was having a time of solitude in a, in, a, in a course that I was on, a leadership course. And we had this time of solitude. And oh, it, was, it was a few decades ago. But, but I remember clearly I wanted to understand the Father heart of God better. I guess I loved the Gospels and I, and I really felt that God had revealed Jesus, his son, to me, you know, clearly and that I got. I love the thought that the Holy Spirit is called the comforter and counselor. Like, they're really nice words. But I wanted to understand God as Father more. And I, I remember going into this time of solitude, not really looking forward to it as an extrovert. 24 hours, I'm not talking to anyone. That's tough. But I went into it feeling that somehow God had an agenda. So I said, if this is the time, if, if you want to talk to me about your Father heart, I'm, I'm here, I'm open. But I, I honestly don't know where to start or how we go about this. And... Not that night, but the next morning, I was sitting on a... I actually remember clearly sitting on a um, uh, bale of hay in a little bit of a shed just by myself with the Word of God, praying, and suddenly this picture flashed into my mind. It was of a photo of me as a kid, and I remembered it. I didn't have it with me, but, but, but I remembered it really, really clearly. This photo of me as a kid, I'm by myself in the front lawn of our house at 8 Palmerston Court, Greensboro, and I'm, and I'm holding up this, this, this picture that I'd drawn in Sunday school. That's why I love, love it when the kids come out of kids' church with their pictures and they're so proud. Do you see the one the other week uh, with um, Jesus being baptised? It was so creative. You know, see Sky or Beck afterwards. They will, they will get you one. But um, on this occasion, I had, I had drawn a picture of Calvary with the three crosses. I was so proud of it. Now, you've got to understand, I wasn't the easiest kid to teach in Sunday school. I was a bit of a brat, to be quite honest. Uh, you may say a little attention-seeking. 
But on this particular Sunday, I had done my best work. And uh, Dad, was, Dad was quite quite pleased. He must have got, on this particular Sunday, good reports from my behavior, from the Sunday school teachers. And there we were. He was taking a photo of me on the front lawn in my Sunday best. And uh, I'm a little knock-kneed, so it's kind of it's a bit of an awkward photo there in my shorts and so forth. And this photo flashed into, into my head. And I just smirked and giggled a lot. <laughs> Oh, what a funny little kid I was. And then suddenly, it was like superimposed in the background. I just saw my heavenly father standing big and tall and towering over this little boy with his hands on his shoulders, with the biggest grin on his face. And in that moment, I just, I was so touched by it. I was moved to tears. God had given me a picture of his father's heart. He'd given me a picture of, of how he had me covered, even when I was a little boy. Not, not much to look at, not much to applaud in so many ways, but I was what I was, and he had me covered. And it was a beautiful, beautiful picture. I thought that I was holding a picture of God. But the picture he gave me was of God holding me. You know, God wants to adjust what we see of him. Because he knows when our picture of him is greater than our picture of our problems we can be set free. Let me say that again. When our picture of God becomes greater than the picture we have of our problems, our giants, then we can be set free. We won't be slaves. There is no threat of being enslaved to our enemy. The giants just start falling all over the place. The lies are exposed and truth rushes in. Our picture of God has to become bigger. And as that happens, our giants will become very, very small. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I wonder whether tonight there isn't someone here who needs you to adjust their picture of you. At the moment, it's not quite right. Their God is too small, and the giants are too big. They need a fresh vision of who you really are. They need to know deep in their spirit what David knew. You are God. You have them covered. You are present with them. 
and you'll never, ever, ever leave them nor forsake them. You just wouldn't do that. A loving father won't. And if that's a word or if that's a picture for someone tonight, Holy Spirit, because you are the counselor, you are the comforter, would you come and help them to understand that and enlarge their view of you and in so doing, set them free from the giants that loom, the giants that threaten to enslave. We ask this in the wonderful, precious, majestic, and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Saviour and Lord. Do it, Jesus, please. Do it. Amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.com.au.